0: Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. Thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. Do me a quick favor. If you like what you hear Planet Microcap, please take two seconds and give us five stars on Spotify or Apple. This helps with the search engine so that more folks can also discover and engage with all things microcap stocks. We are now 1 month away from our next event the Planet Microcap Showcase taking place in Las Vegas at the Horseshoe Hotel and Casino formerly Bally's on April 25 through 27 2023. We have made a number of announcements, including just last week. We have a special keynote that's going to be happening actually with the guest I'm about to interview for the podcast uh, Chris Tesson and Doug Porter from Acuitas Investments, who will be giving a presentation on being a fund to fund, a microcap fund of funds. So I'm very excited about that. And as well as uh, we keep updating our presenting company list and it's just we're very excited to see you all in Vegas. Uh, I know this year has been kind of a crazy year uh, just all around especially with with microcaps so you know this will be a really great opportunity for all of us to get together as a community to support each other, check out some interesting ideas, hear some great presentations, some keynotes the whole bit. So if you're interested and would like to attend complimentary, please visit www.planetmicrocapshowcase.com. See you in Vegas. Now, my guests on the show today are Josh Womack and Tom Carey from Womack Capital Partners. This episode is especially timely with our conference coming up in Las Vegas because as we've covered here many times before, when you invest in a microcap stock, you're primarily making a bet on the jockey, aka management. That means part of your due diligence process, in my opinion should be listening to conference calls, interviews, presentations that management has done, as well as meet with management in a one-on-one meeting and asking as many questions as you have. We've done many episodes discussing the do's and don'ts of speaking with management, but surprisingly, we've never done anything about how we should think about the information conveyed. That's where Josh and Tom enter the conversation, both of whom have an immense amount of experience meeting with management. Tom's background in particular, I think, differentiates their research process. His transition from doing investor relations full-time to being on the buy side, I think, offers unique insight from someone who's been in the room with management teams discussing how they want to speak with shareholders. Thank you again for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast, and please enjoy my conversation with Josh Womack. And Tom Carey, gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? It's great to be here finally. Great,
1: thanks for having us, Robert. I,
0: I, I like I like the finally. We uh, we we. Uh, it's been it's been a couple months in the making, but listen, here we are, man. It feels good. We and pretty we much all our
1: fault. So, thank you for hanging with us. We appreciate
0: that. No, I think there must have been one reschedule on my end. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. We all got young kids, man. It is what yeah. it is. Like, <laughs> I, 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 we're here. I feel like I reschedule like all the time, you know. But, um, but, anyways, again, thank you guys for, for joining me. I, we're going to, we're going to have a lot of fun today. Just kind of a good old fashioned micro cap deep dive, you know, just in general. But, you know, before we kind of introduce, in a sense, well, Mac Capital Partners, because this is your first time on the show. You know, you guys are relatively newish. You know, yeah. newish. Yeah. You know, before we get into all that, you know, you guys are a long-only micro cap focused fund. It's been a rough eight, nine, ten months. You know, uh, how you guys doing? Let's start there, Josh.
1: Gosh, uh, I mean, so honestly, when you say that, and. I think a lot of clients feel the same way. Like, man, how are things going? Right. Um, I think for us, it is, it's truly opportunity. Like this is, this is why we love investing in this space. And I think investing in general, you have to kind of embrace volatility and you have to embrace times like this, but micro caps in particular uh, tend to react or overreact um, more so. And so I think if you can, kind of, with you know, keep your emotions in check and and rely on what you're convicted about and the uh, underlying fundamentals, I think there's a lot of opportunity. And so, I mean, honestly, I wake up pretty excited about what we see and and what we are seeing right now. So uh, it's I, I don't want to say it's good because I know it stresses people out. So that's that's not good. But but for us as as long term focused investors, like it's I think it's a, a really interesting environment to, to play where we play.
0: For sure. And and Tom, you know, from your perspective, because, you know, we quick background, we're going to get your full background, you know, in a minute. But like, you know, me and you met when you were at, a, at an IR firm, you know, you've dealt, you know, on that side of things with with many microcap companies, you know, have seen, you know, a lot of ebbs and flows like in times like these, you know, what. What are those? Some of those conversations going on behind the scenes with microcap management teams that you've been able to parlay into now your experience at Walmart Capital Partners?
2: Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you took the words out of my mouth with ebb and flow. Uh, I think that's that's the case with microcaps in any environment. I think, especially when you look at right now, um, we tend to look at companies that are well positioned to kind of weather this storm we're not going after companies that have a ton of debt uh, or are looking to raise a bunch of capital so you know with things going on like uh silicon valley bank and you know other banks having issues right now obviously we're not i don't think I mean, maybe josh disagree but as concerned about those sorts of uh issues that are coming up because we're looking at companies that can uh, ideally weather that storm regardless so uh we really like to talk to management teams and get a good qualitative understanding for the story, probably even more than quantitatively. Like the numbers can be fine, but if, if we don't like the management team, then, uh, we can spend all day looking at the numbers. It's not going to make sense for us. So, uh, we've got to be able to trust management and, um, you know, we like to talk to them about their, where they see the company going. So back to your, your question about kind of weathering the storm. Um, yeah, we just poke the bear a little bit as politely as we can to get them to start talking and um see what they say to us and see what they don't say too. I think there's a lot of times a lot of value in, in what they don't say. So
0: you know, to bring up a really interesting topic that I've I've I wanted to kind of dig in. And now's like kind of the perfect time to talk about it, you know, being where we are in microcaps. And it's the what you want to hear from management versus them knowing what you might want to hear and just to placate you. You know, like, oh, okay, good. Okay, Say what I wanted to hear versus like maybe something a little bit differential. You know, how do you, how do you discern between like, all right, they're telling me what I want to hear versus like, all right, that was what I want to hear. And then some, and now I feel better about the situation or otherwise, Josh, so I'll come to you first. Gosh, uh, I can't wait to, for Tom to answer this. I think Tom is,
1: is <laughs> really good at this, honestly. Um, so, I mean, I think it's, it, it all comes down to just talking to people, Right. And uh, it's it's a constant reminder that companies, especially smaller companies, they're driven by people and people like we're all human. We all have different fears and emotions and we all have different goals. We all have different time frames. And I think the more just you can relate and be human to people, I think the more you can uncover and unpack. Uh, with with the why behind management, behind what they're doing, why they're there, uh, what they want to do. And so I, I think it's just for me trying to be, just trying to be a normal person. Like I'm not, we're, we're not, we're not smarter than anyone else out there, right? Where there's a lot of smart people looking at these stocks and there's a lot of smart people running these companies. And so I think it's just getting to the, the why behind the human beings, behind the business. Nice.
0: Hey, Tom? Uh, same question. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think Josh answered it uh, beautifully there. I think if if I was going to add something, um, uh, I guess a small example, I, I won't say what company this was, but um, uh, it's a name that we've been researching, but they had put out some guidance uh, for some, I think it was top line revenue numbers for the next few years. And we like that when a company will give guidance, but we also want to know how you got there. So um this was somewhat recently josh you may remember this this call but uh, we just started asking management how did you get at that number and then kind of quickly realized that uh maybe th- the level of thoughtfulness that we had hoped would go into that wasn't quite there so um j- just i think kind of poking the bear a little bit finding out well how did you get to this number quantitatively how did you go from point a to, to, to z to get there so um I think a lot of times, you're, you know, you just got to keep asking questions and uh, get them to keep talking. And uh, like Josh said, you, you get a rapport with them. And not that they're telling you anything that is uh, material inside information, but they will start to give you a little bit of color. And you can kind of, you know, mosaically piece everything together and form your own opinion from there. Absolutely.
0: Hey, Tom, coming back to you real quick, you know, on along those lines. And like I said, you know, you, you know, you had this experience where you're working intimately with microcap companies on the IR side, you know, in, in conducting and helping them with some of these calls and being in some of those investor meetings, what would you say is the best question? I'm putting you on the spot with this one. What, what would you say yeah. was, was the best question that you heard an investor ask one of your clients at that time that you've been able to parlay?
2: Um. Yeah, I don't know where I heard this, but it's something that I use now. Um, I'd like to take credit for it, but I think I heard it somewhere. But the question is, um, what's a mistake you made during your tenure as management, whether it's CEO, CFO, regardless? And how, if you could go back in time and change that, what would you do differently? And you'll find that a lot of management teams don't have an answer for that. And that's always a little off-putting for me because it's it shows me that and maybe they haven't had a long enough tenure there to have made a mistake. Maybe they're new, but um, I want to see the management team having been introspective and said, okay, we made a mistake. I should have done this. Not only acknowledging it, but owning it and then you know answering my question, what would you do differently if you could go back? But a lot of them don't have an answer or they, they need to think about it for a bit. And that's fine. I know I'm putting them on the spot with that question, but um, the ones that have that answer prepared tells me that they've been they've already done the work and they're nice. they're ready to kind of move forward. The other one, the second one, uh, I hear Josh ask this a lot, but it's what metrics should we be looking at if uh, if he asks the CEO this, for instance, what metrics would you be looking at if you were sitting in our seat? And that's always uh, a good question to ask as well.
1: I like to I like to even sometimes phrase it as, as if you, if someone removed you and put you on a desert island and you could only look at three metrics for your business to tell you how it was doing, what three metrics do you need to see and why? And, and, and that tells us what they believe is most important about the business and unpacking the why behind that. So I do think both of those, we love those questions.
0: I think I'm going to steal both of those for my due diligence series because I love, I especially love the mistake one because I'd be yeah. so curious to see how many management teams actually like truthfully answer that question. Because I can, I can already imagine there being a few answers being like, yeah, well, you know, there this happened, but it was based on bad information that I got versus like, if this was my decision, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. man. Um, uh,
2: We've we've seen a lot of interesting answers, but and some good ones too. So,
0: yeah, of course, yeah. No, no. we want to be fair to the ones that are are given the good answers to. You know, uh, not just yeah. the ones that were like, you know, that we could tell our buddies at the bar over. Um, <laughs> always more interesting. But uh, all right, so we're, I want to take a step back because, like I said, it's my first time doing an interview with you guys. You know, I know your backgrounds from just you know chatting all the you know all this time uh, and rescheduling our time to to, <laughs> to get you on the pod. But you know, lo- love to hear you know where you got your start, you know, and and how you just got into this microcap universe. What interested it? Uh, how how you got interested in it? The whole bit. So, Josh, let's we'll start with you, and then Tom, we'll will come back to you.
1: Try to try to go through this fairly fast because I'm an old man now, so I have got a lot of history <laughs> here. But um, I got I got an, an interested in investing in college and really just loved and the, at that time viewed it more as a game and rode the biotech bubble up and rolled it, rode it most of the way down. And that experience hooked me and just made me want to know how do people do this? How do you invest long-term? Cause it's not what I did. And so then just started reading everything I can, I could. Um, and it was your classic, you know, Munger, Buffett, gram just the 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 normal value guys and so i started investing my own and did relatively well and then my background was public accounting and worked for deloitte and touche for a period of time and uh, was not suited for the world of accounting i I like talking to people too much and not uh, banging on my keyboard uh, all day so Moved on from there and had had a few stops in between, but eventually founded an investment advisory firm. Uh, And from that, uh, I started, we we manage household portfolios. From that, we had several families that say, well, Josh, is this how you invest? Do you uh, invest in these low cost ETFs or index funds? And sprinkle in some individual companies. I would say no, I, I don't do that. I invest in these tiny companies for the most part. You've never heard of; they're pretty volatile. And so people would say, "Well, I want to do that. I want you to do that with my portfolio." And I would say, "You probably don't want me to do that with your portfolio because it's just it's a it's a wild ride and it's semi illiquid at times and it, you know it just it's probably not good uh, for you or your personality type." And so they would say, "Well, yeah, but what about five percent of my portfolio?" Can you put a little piece of my portfolio on there? And so that's truly how the fund was born. It was born out of that demand of, of saying, like, oh, well, if we, if we created a fund, we could do that. And so that's how we did it. If we rewind a little bit, about five years before I started the fund, I read uh, The Small Cap Advantage by Brian Bears, And that book, it solidified in my brain all that I kind of had pieced together that I liked about small cap investing, but and the book just presented it in such a way. It's so compelling. When you read that book, you're just like, Oh my gosh, why, why is everyone not doing this? And there are reasons, there are structural reasons for that. And he lays it out so well, but that book really changed my trajectory on, on my, conviction level of why this is a sustainable advantage if you're willing to look under the hood at these small companies and so that that's really uh what what brought me to this point very cool very
0: cool tom
2: uh similar story to josh in in the early beginnings um my grandfather had um, set up a mutual fund um with me as the, the beneficiary of that when i was a kid so as i was Kind of getting older, I was learning about that. Um, I think when I turned 18, I like a lot of people, I got, uh, if you remember the old Scott Trade accounts, uh, I got one of those and uh, kind of, you know, wasn't really investing per se. It was more just, you know, buying stocks and kind of seeing what happened. But um, went on to college, very similar as Josh got involved in the, you know, the biotech um seen again not really investing just speculating no clue what i was doing but uh got to ride the roller coaster up um in a very short amount of time with a couple of different biotechs only to watch it crater way faster than it went up so um learned some valuable lessons in college doing that um you know not a lot of money but you know as a college student you know uh it it felt like a lot so um but i was addicted at that point and so um, got a finance degree from UT Tyler, uh, came out of school, did a, some fund accounting, um, similar to Josh, different, different type of accounting, but kind of in that finance world, and did a little bit of estate planning. And then the bulk of my time after college was in um, investor relations, whereas, as you mentioned, Robert, and that's where you and I met, um, did that for about five, five and a half years, and was still investing on the side, was getting better, was learning a lot, was exposed to a lot of micro cap companies, fell in love with the micro cap space. Was already addicted to it before that, and that just solidified it. Um, got some good advice for some from some um, colleagues to pursue the CFA. So I went and did that. Uh, got the charter, and uh, at that point, you know, had um, wanted to move on and get on the buy side. So I reached out to Josh, uh, who I, uh, I had um, met during my investor relations days, and. Stayed in contact with him and, um, you know, the stars aligned and, you know, he was willing to take a a chance on me and and bring me on board. So um, I've been there for a little over a year now and we're, uh, you know, trying to get this thing rock and roll.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, Josh. Sorry, did you want to add something? Okay. So, so okay. So that. Thank you guys both for that full background and you know, basic giving us the why for why you got into microcaps. You know, I think it's very, just it's very similar to some folks, but also everyone has their unique story for how you know we all got caught up in this crazy, weird, wacky world that we call home um, in microcaps, you know, but now speaking specifically to the fund, you know, Womack Capital Partners, you know, I'd love to better understand how the strategy and the structure, just how you're looking at things, how you're picking companies, how is that unique and different compared to some of your peers out there? So Josh, you want to you start for Edson? It's a great question. And uh, how are
1: different? Honestly, we haven't spent a lot of time Uh, or I haven't spent a lot of time studying other funds. So it's, it's even hard for me to say that the, um, I think, and we get the question a lot of how, as an investor, as an LP, how do you know which manager is going to do better? And it's just like, I don't know a good answer for that. And, and I think everyone had, we, we all have these like textbook answers, right. Of we, you know, we're long-term focused. We look at the fundamentals, you know, we also talk to management, all that stuff. And I think a lot of us, most of us here are capable of doing the basic blocking and tackling. And honestly, I think if you do that consistently, just the basics, I think you will do better than the market averages. I so just, I think you, especially in this space, uh, I think you can do that. Again, the book uh, lays that out really well, the case for why that, that's true. Uh, what, what we really focus on is, is making sure that LPs that invest with us are truly aligned with what we're doing. And we try to fight really hard against uh, against saying yes to an LP that may, may want to invest with us if if we feel like it's not a great alignment. And so we really tell our LPs, like, hey, this needs to be long-term money. And so if it's money you're going to check on every month or every quarter, or even every six months, this is not the right fund for you. There's, there's really no reason to do that here. That's not how we measure it. That's not how we look at it. That's not how we look at any of the companies we're investing in. So uh, it's a concentrated fund. Like right now, I think we have about 13 individual positions. And our highest conviction ideas get the highest weighting. So you look at our top five and you're, you're well over, way over 50% of the fund, probably in the top three, most of the time will be over 50% of the fund. And one way that I try to show or, and not, you know, again, the fund was born organically out of people asking if they could invest with. In the same stocks i invest in so this is at the time when i when we made the fund it was the cleanest way for me to do that but this is where my money is like this is where josh's personal money that i invest in the market on an ongoing basis this is where it goes i put it in the fund and so i treat this account as, as my account that has some more zeros on it because a lot of people that trust us and friends of ours have, have trusted you know us with their money and so i think we both view this as this is our money and we want to make the best decisions we can with it. From a net worth perspective, I probably got more of my net worth in this fund than anyone uh, in the fund. That's probably the way it should be. And if the fund turns out really poorly, then Josh is going to be hurt the worst. And again, that's how it should be. Uh, the chef should use them cooking. So um, that's that's a little bit about the fund. But we really try to take the long-term view and we try to dig deep. I think Tom's background with the CFA, my background auditing public companies at Deloitte. I think we're both very comfortable digging into financial statements and and talking to management about what we find there. And so hopefully that's a, you know, somewhat of a, a bit of an advantage for, for us.
0: I also and not and and I think also a big advantage, and you know, and this is, you know, not just all of your skills, Josh. But I gotta say, like the fact that Tom had that background working in IR is is a huge deal. You know, people might take that for granted in some respects because you know we all know the industry, and and I have many good friends and colleagues that work in the space. But the amount of exposure, you know, they're 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 seeing the whole picture because they have to. They have to see how management thinks. They're seeing the game. They're seeing, you know, what needs to happen in order for them to succeed. So that is, that's, that's something that you just don't get unless you were really in it as an investor, um, like as a, as a board member or, uh, you know, some, you know, really as a board member or some kind of officer in the company, like that's just that's an experience. Yeah. Between.
1: I had the the advantage of on the investor side, watching and talking to Tom uh, in that and what he was doing in IR. And so it was, you know, when I first met Tom and we talked for, gosh, I don't know how a long time, years, I would say, before Tom came on, yeah, and there was yeah. obviously from the early days, there were neither one of us had any inkling or intention of, you know, he he may come work with me uh, and try to build this. So I got to understand and know how Tom thinks and how he works for a, a number of years uh, before he joined. So that was really cool and. Felt, it felt like we'd been working together forever uh, because we kind of had been, just not at the same place. Tom,
0: want wanna yeah.
2: no, to chime in there? Yeah, y'all are, you're saying too many nice things about me. Uh, <laughs> it's making me uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, yeah, and I, what I forgot to mention kind of on the background with Josh, um, we had probably only met maybe once or twice in person, and we had just talked on the phone so many times. Um, and traded ideas throughout the years while I was uh, in IR, and then even after that, so when I did reach out to him, it, it was a pretty natural conversation. So, um, yeah, thank you for saying all those nice
1: things and, and bringing me on board. The mean things, if you want, but maybe that's a different. <laughs> no, we don't have time, You're like Thomas, a that one, podcast.
0: Thomas, that one winner from 2020, yeah. you know. like... <laughs> That's
2: probably a lot more than that. IR um,
0: experience—you couldn't tell that that manager was full of shit. I mean, come yeah. on, man.
2: <laughs> uh, back to Robert's point, the yeah, the IR world. I know um, that that was big for me because I learned how investors ask questions, not just with microcaps, but uh, small cap companies, and um, you know even some midcaps in there as well. Uh, and you get to see both sides of the table what questions are the buy side asking how are management handling them in front of those investors and then how are they talking about it behind the scenes so you get to kind of uh see all of that i think that helped train me on how to ask questions and how to kind of get a little bit more out of management without asking something you're not supposed to ask um that that time at uh when I was in IR it was very beneficial. So I have uh, fond memories of that. So and I, I met, actually met both of you there.
1: That's right. It's pushed me yeah. to, I think before I started working as closely with Tom, I would tend to spend more time just digging into to 10 K's and 10 Q's and filings. And I would reach out to management. I think that's part of what we have to do and need to do and should do. But I think Tom is, uh, has been really helpful in like, Hey, we need to reach out to management again. We need to talk to management again. I'm like, probably a good idea. We do, and so uh, I think it's it's been a really great uh, it's pushed me in a in a good good way.
0: That's cool. Yeah. No. Tom, he just set me up for my next question that I have to. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw back to him on this one. You know, I asked Uh-oh. you know the best the best questions that investors you know that you that you took from them. You know, also then let's get the other side of the coin. What were some of the worst questions that you heard? investors ask that management you just like there's no point in asking that question like you literally got nothing out of that and also management now like is talking mad shit about you because <laughs> they think you're an idiot. <laughs>
2: um we've never I've never asked I that on a here I have
1: to ask questions I can't wait to hear this. Yeah
2: yeah hopefully I have so I had I probably have two again hopefully I haven't been guilty of this but um when they don't quite understand what the company does because they haven't done the research behind it i think that happens a lot at conferences you know especially if you take a meeting sometimes last minute you may not know the stories so, you know that's fine uh, i've definitely been, been guilty of that but um either i don't know silly things like asking companies to give guidance when they have publicly stated on conference calls um many times that they do not give guidance They tell you they don't, and then you ask the question in a different way to try to get them to, you know, give you guidance that they're smarter than that. Um, I think that creates a bad uh, rapport uh, with management teams. And one thing that's always, this might just be my, it's not a direct question, but um, I think Josh and I are similar in this. But with all the financial jargon that's out there, we like to kind of keep things very simple. So, you know, you always have that person in the room that tries to ask the fancy question and throw out all of the, um, you know, the fancy financial jargon and um, sound like they know what they're talking to, you know, talking about. But at the end of the day, we're, we're pretty direct, I think with our questions and um, try to keep it as simple as possible and uh, not get too stuffy, I guess.
1: We're not fancy guys. Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, right? I wish I had a better answer. No, I mean, look at the end of the day, like, In terms of like do's and don'ts with talking with management team, I think we can all agree that one, it definitely helps if you have some sort of knowledge about the company a little bit uh, beforehand, you know, they, management is much more receptive to what you have to say and your questions, even if it might be, even if you, you like, you can take some chances with your questions. If you at least know a little bit more about the company, you know, or at least faking it until you make it, um. And at the end of the day, just showing respect, right? Like you can't just be one of those, you know, even, even whether you're a shareholder or not, or especially if you're a prospective shareholder, like, you know, the, everyone's yeah. doing their best and trying to build a business, you know, um, to the best of their own abilities, or, or at least we have to assume so. <laughs> so we got to at least try and give that person the respect that they deserve before, you know, we go in for the kill um, <laughs> for for that type of question, yeah. you know? Yeah. So.
2: Right. We want them to take a meeting with us again. So, uh, I think time is like probably the best asset we all have. So, I don't want to waste someone else's time with silly questions. I think uh, I, I wouldn't want someone wasting mine. So, uh, we, we try to ask a question so that we can come back and ask them again. So,
1: yeah, we want to rese- answers too. No. Yeah, we want to be respectful yeah. of at least doing enough research to have thoughtful questions and um you know if we don't there's kind of no point uh, it is waste of everyone's time absolutely
0: so another question that i ask everybody on here that you know i think i'm sure both of you have your own individual stories on here and maybe we won't use maybe a company that's currently in the fund or in the portfolio what what would you say is an investing experience that you learned the most from that guided you to where you're at right now and maybe you know want to you know grow towards so josh you want me to come to you first on that? Sure. Um, and feel free. You can name the company, not name the company. It's totally up to you.
1: Well, I, yeah, I won't name this one. I'm thinking of one that's that's in our fund. Um, and maybe, again, maybe in another podcast, we can, we can kind of go in deep dive into a company. But early on, I was really more about look at historical financials. Because that's what I knew. Like I, I mean, I, I put those together for companies. So I would look at historicals and assume, well, they've grown at 15, 20% a year. That's going to keep going. And I can model that out. And um, it was more about the quantitative stuff, which is really important. You have to know the quantitative factors of the business and where they've been to, to see kind of what the trajectory might be able to be, or, or at least what the levers are. And one company in particular, early on in the fund, we, we found a company that uh, their business model was just, it was simply misunderstood what they were doing. And so uh, I was randomly at, a, at an event, the CEO was speaking, it was not an investment conference, it was a, it was a very random event, but the CEO was speaking, I thought, wow, what, he, what he's actually, what, where they're going is not what the financials reflect because the financials reflect the historical business and that's not where they're gonna make their money. They're making their money by, by pivoting a little bit, but focusing on a niche of what they were already doing. And that niche happened to be really profitable and they happened to have a special insight to do this thing. And so wh- learning that and then talking more with, the, you know why are you doing that? How will you do that? how can you execute that? Um, and then watching them do it, like they actually executed and they actually did exactly what they said they were trying to do. And, you know, it became a very profitable position for us. And and that one, I kind of got lucky, I think on that, but it, it, it reinforced to me, the qualitative part of the research that you have to understand where they're going. And is that is that where that what they've been doing the past five or 10 years? Or are we going somewhere new? And if we're going somewhere new, do we have conviction that they can actually pull that off? And why the heck are they doing that? And so I think that it just reinforced to me that the qualitative is as important as the quantitative. And you really got to know both. You can't, in my opinion, to be a great investor, you can't, you can't just know one or the other. You got to have both and you got to understand how they work together
0: very cool that's a great example right there Tom you got you got one
2: yeah um, similar story um, not inside the fund but uh, in the past I had always invested in things that in my own personal portfolio that I understood uh, the numbers maybe made sense but looking back on it um, later on when the investment didn't pan out it was always because the management team wasn't uh you know the best and so i started to learn that instead of just investing in things i understood where maybe the numbers made sense there's an old warren buffett quote about that but um, you know you really need to have good management um, preferably great management and so i started looking more at those qualitative um, uh, issues and and what i was investing in and so i um, invested outside of uh, my normal comfort zone a few years ago. Someone I knew on the board of a company, and it wasn't a space I typically invest in or understand, for that matter. And uh, I'm talking about a, a different sector. Um, and but I knew I knew someone on the board, and so I knew the management team. Got to know them a bit, had had phone calls with them, and decided to kind of make my investment solely based on that. It was a kind of a a reverse merger situation and waited a few years. And sure enough, management did what they said they were going to do. And um, the stock took off and I did well on that one. So uh, I don't own it anymore. I wasn't in the fund. This is long before I I knew Josh, but um, it was a lesson I think that I needed to learn and that it's definitely both. It can't be one or the other, but if I had to choose, I would probably choose better management over, just a good business with bad management, because um, you can always change the direction
1: of the company. Um, that's interesting. I, that's maybe that's why we're such a great team, Tom. I mean, because <laughs> I would say, I would say the opposite. I would say that you, the business, has to be able to be be run by idiots, because eventually, like that's a Buffett quote too, because eventually one will run it. And so that's true. I want to find a company that that almost anyone could run because it's such it's in such a great space. It's got such great tailwinds. Um, it's got such a niche, whatever that thing may be. And so, you know, I think that's helpful. I'm glad. Honestly, we don't both think that exact same thing there. I think that that's healthy. Uh, and that's yeah, helpful. I think
2: we're on the page, same page, probably too often. So maybe maybe this is that's good. good. We think too early, think good yeah. Time, but, uh, yeah, we just need to find a find one of those good companies that can be run by an idiot, and then we'll go get management from somewhere else to join <laughs> on. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's all yeah. we got to do.
0: You know, I, I was going to rename this podcast. You know, plan microcap therapy sessions. I think this was. Pre- I think. Uh, I think you guys. Had, you guys broke some serious ground just now. We did. That was deep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It was very deep. Uh, so. You know, I, you guys gave us a full picture. here. I think this was pretty cool. I know we have some ideas for some other show uh, pot, episodes that we're going to do together down the road, you know, once they they come to fruition. Um, so, you know, I think this is probably a good place to end it. You know, to close us out, what advice would you have for new investors that are looking at microcaps right now here on March 20th, Monday, 2023? Tom, let's well, go to Tom you. Go first. Yeah, I was going to say Tom go first and Josh will close it.
2: Uh, you cut off, or just say are these new investors that are just getting into microcap space, or yeah,
0: yeah, new investors maybe passively looking at it.
2: Um, I would say just start reading, uh, whether that's books, um, that that cover the investing space, or really just start digging into ten Qs and ten Ks, uh, and start reading uh, as much as you can from management. Maybe listening to earnings calls. Not all microcap companies do earnings calls. Most of them probably don't um yeah just get acquainted with the space you're probably not going to find much sell side research which is good um maybe not maybe not the best one you're trying to learn but it's good to you know find those companies before everybody else does so um it sounds super generic but just start reading and maybe do a paper portfolio and start tracking some of the names you're interested in before you dive into the space um Trading in microcaps, obviously, can be a little uh, tricky from a liquidity standpoint. So, um, yeah, maybe follow along on paper for a little bit and see if it's it's for you.
1: I'd say that you got to first, like, get rid of any FOMO you have and realize that this is, as Buffett says, a, a no called strike game. Like, you don't have to swing at every pitch and you shouldn't. And if you have that feeling of like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to miss this. I need to hurry up and buy it. That's probably a good indication. You should pump the brakes a little bit and learn a little more. And so I think um, you never need to go all in uh, to a company, especially if you're first getting started. I think I think you've got usually you know time uh, to, to slowly get into uh, the space. And, and, and Tom's just piggybacking on what he said about trading and with liquidity. There can be decent bid ask spreads on microcaps. And so if you're looking for that quick trade to get in and out, you could be severely disappointed uh, because just the spread alone, if you're not patient can hurt you. And so I would just say, you, you, you need to, you need to understand what you're investing in. You need to have a thesis. And I would say, if you're really interested in learning document your thesis, like document why you liked a company buy the company or or get slowly get into the company. And if you change your mind, write that down and date stamp it. So you can actually see your thought process of like, what changed? Why did I like this? I think that's really helpful uh, just, just to see that progression.
0: I love it. I think that's all great advice across the board. Now, before I let you go, Josh, I have to ask, what is the stack of, is that the psychology of money behind you? You have like a bunch of copies on the left. Oh, that is
1: the yeah shout out Morgan Housel. Uh, I, that's one of my all-time favorite books to give to people about money. It First. is so good and it's so entertaining and it's a it's an easy quick read. But it it breaks down really important key financial concepts in a way that's really fun and can be easily understood. So. One of my all-time favorite books. Yeah. So
0: that so that's why it's number one on Amazon. You're literally just buying up all the inventory. <laughs>
1: Dude, I'm I've bought hundreds of copies of that <laughs> thing to give away. So nice. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm a fan of Morgan. I think he's a he's a great thinker and a great writer. So hundred oh, um, yeah.
0: percent. Very cool, guys. All right. Well, with that, you know, it's time to let you go. Where where can folks go and find more information on Womack Capital Partners?
1: WomackCapitalPartners.com. dot and. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Josh Womack, and yeah, reach out if you've got questions.
0: You have a newsletter too. What's what's the newsletter called again?
1: Uh, Capital Sense. Man, I'm glad you said that. Uh, yeah, Capital <laughs> Sense. It's a Substack newsletter.
0: Appreciate love, that. Love it. Of course. Well, Josh, Tom, thank you guys so much for joining me here today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to the next time we, we have a conversation on here. This is a lot of fun. I
1: appreciate you, Robert. Definitely. Thanks. Thank guys. you, Robert. Talk
0: to you later. podcast. podcast.